everyone. I'm Leslie Erdelak. And I'm Chris Fleming. Welcome to another edition of Health Affairs This Week, the podcast where health affairs editors chat about health policy news and developments. Today, we'll be talking about climate change and our new issue out this month, our first ever issue on climate and health. Leslie, one of the questions that used to amaze me was when people would ask, so how are you keeping busy during quarantine? Because as you know, from the early days of the pandemic, we at Health Affairs were deluged by COVID material, whether blog posts or journal articles. And that reflected the fact that most everyone treated COVID-19 as an emergency. And that made me think of something Bill Gates said recently. In a book review in the new Health Affairs issue, Leslie, you noted uh, that Gates had asked what would have happened uh, if the world had reacted to climate change with the same urgency with which it reacted to the new coronavirus. Right. So in other words, are we at the point uh, as Americans uh, where we're ready to look at climate change like a public health emergency? Sure. And it's not as if we're lacking evidence uh, for the need to address climate change. We've seen temperatures that are going up. Events like fires and storms have been happening more often. They've been more intense. Uh, and they happen outside what we used to sort of uh, in the old days refer to them, refer to as their seasons. Now, scientists have long talked about the importance of holding global warming below two degrees at most, two degrees Celsius. And to do that, they've said we had to keep greenhouse gases below a certain threshold. How have we been doing on that front, Leslie? Well, we're pretty far from where we need to be. I just saw a new report out from the UN that said even though we can expect carbon emissions and pollution to drop this year because of the coronavirus lockdowns, they also called it a tiny blip. Um, and, and that's a scientific term, by the way, meaning it probably won't have any sort of mitigating effect on global warming and climate change in the long run. Um, and the agency that released the report also called for a sustained flattening of the emissions curve, which I thought was interesting because it parallels how we've been talking about COVID. And I think in order to treat this more urgently uh, and meet those targets, it's going to be important to bring attention to some of the issues at stake, including how climate change affects our health. Uh, but Chris, I, I want to go back to your first question and just say, like so many people during quarantine, I've been watching a ton of movies and shows over Thanksgiving. My mom and I watched this new documentary on Hulu about a Swedish environmental activist, Greta Thunberg. And you know, she's known for being pretty outspoken on the climate crisis. And what really comes across in the film, I think, is this message about empowering young people and just tapping into this frustration that our leaders in government haven't taken the issue seriously. So it seems to me like we could be on the verge of some sort of shift, you know, at least in our thinking. And I don't know. I'm curious what this moment feels like to you, Chris. Do you think we can be optimistic? Well, I mean, in the longer term, I, I really do think that Greta Thunberg represents a really broad desire among younger people to get more aggressive on climate change. As the father of a teenage daughter, I can tell you that uh, uh, one of the many reasons that she and her friends think us older people are nuts is that we haven't done more on climate change. Now, more immediately, of course, the eyes of the nation are going to be on the incoming administration. And we know that Joe Biden campaigned on addressing climate change, and his team is already focusing on the issue. Uh, for example, Biden recently announced the appointment of former Secretary of State John Kerry as his climate envoy, and Kerry will have direct access to the president. 
Now, of course, the climate change uh, plan that the president-elect campaigned on was not as far-reaching as, say, the Green New Deal proposed by AOC, Bernie Sanders, people like that. That one would have eliminated you know, most carbon emissions within a decade. Even so, I mean, it should be emphasized the Biden plan would be the, the most aggressive, by far the most aggressive uh, climate strategy that we've had. I mean, it, although in fairness, it should also be noted that some of the parts that require legislation are probably going to run into some challenges on Capitol Hill. Uh, but under the Biden plan, U.S. Uh, electricity production would be carbon free by 2035. Uh, and another uh, example of it, the U.S. would have uh, net carbon emissions by the middle, net zero carbon emissions by the middle of the century. And the Department of Health and Human Services could also play a key role in dealing with some of the public health aspects of the climate plan. This week, of course, the president-elect said he'll nominate California Attorney General Javier Becerra to be Health and Human Services Secretary. And I think you add to that another piece of Biden's campaign platform, which involves creating an office of climate change and health equity within HHS. Um, and we'll definitely want to keep our eyes on these appointments and other policy decisions that might signal um, you know, a greater focus on climate and health. And that brings us back, I think, to uh, our new health affairs issue that just came out earlier this week. Uh, as we mentioned, it's the first ever volume that the journal has put out on climate and health. And you noted earlier that the, the issue looks at climate through the perspectives of health and public health. And I know you were the lead editor on the issue, so I'm hoping that uh, you could talk a little bit about the material and the issue and what you consider some of the highlights. Yeah, so let's start with the question, you know, why climate and health? And I think part of the impetus for this issue was really about expanding our knowledge about that nexus between the two. So millions of people are affected by things like wildfires, floods, heat waves. And we know from looking at the data that these types of events are increasingly harmful to our health. And you know, we realized early on that climatologists and people like us in the field of health services research don't often share the same language. So it was really important to make these papers uh, accessible for a wider audience, but also uh, instructive. And I think the range of topics we cover is really impressive. We have articles on hurricanes. We look at indigenous communities and how climate change is affecting traditional practices like hunting and fishing. And there's a paper that I think is really cool about the debate around single use versus reusable medical equipment. Um, and it's, it's really worth checking out. But I think one of the biggest takeaways from our new issue um, that might not immediately come to mind, uh, and it centers on the idea of equity and how climate change affects certain groups of people differently. Um, and it can be much more detrimental for people who are already susceptible or more likely to get sick, for example, because they don't have a regular source of health care or there just aren't enough resources to serve everyone in the community. Christy Ebai, a researcher at the University of Washington who wrote about this very topic, calls climate change a stress multiplier because it puts pressure on systems and on communities that are already vulnerable. And when you think about vulnerability, 
people in low and lower middle income countries are at an even greater risk. And so it's an ethical, as much as it is a humanitarian problem, because these regions are the ones contributing the least in terms of greenhouse gas emissions. So I'm glad we could highlight this in the issue. Yeah, that's that's all sounds interesting. And I will say uh, another article that I found uh, really intriguing uh, was the paper by Mary, uh, Mary Catherine Poole, uh, actually, and her co-authors, which uh, talks about the impact that redesigning the national school lunch program could have on climate change. You know, in the same way you mentioned that some of the key equity challenges connected with climate and health, that people might overlook those. You know, I think that people might not uh, think of school lunches in connection with climate change as readily as they might think of, say, electricity generation or uh, motor vehicle emissions. So the pool paper makes me think of the uh, sort of approach that we talk about of health in all policies, except now we're talking about climate and health in all policies. Yeah, I love how you said that. And uh, key to accomplishing it, I think, at least in part, is public support. And, you know, most adults in the U.S., about six in 10, uh, say climate change is having at least some effect on their local community. And that's according to a Pew Research poll. Uh, So the awareness seems to be there, but we have a lot of work to do in terms of this idea of mainstreaming climate policy and uh, really putting forward a solid policy agenda for climate and health. Well, yeah, I think, you know, the the health affairs issue, the December issue really does uh, sort of illustrate the work that is ahead of us. Uh, You know, we have a lot of challenges, for instance, uh, just the the amount of research we still have left to do to even accurately describe the effects of climate change on health. But on the other hand, I mean, on the positive side, it also uh, lays out the real opportunities that are there. For instance, by strategies like breaking down silos, the sort of getting people who don't speak the same language to talk to each other. I mean, the sort of we can be the hopefully the translators, if you will. And that, in fact, sounds like a good place to end our discussion. Uh, I will tell our listeners to check out the show notes for related content. And I would encourage everyone, uh, if you enjoyed this, to subscribe uh, wherever, and even if you didn't, to subscribe wherever you get your podcast. And thanks to everyone for listening. 